Hey there, everyone. It is Jeff from MCS Magazine. Welcome to podcast episode number 188. And this week I brought back one of my favorite guests, actually one of my favorite people on the whole planet, to talk about a topic that is one of the most critical factors in self-protection with a firearm. Actually, it's a critical factor with any weapon, even if you're unarmed. And that's the legal aspects of defending yourself that could literally put you in jail, maybe even for the rest of your life, if you make the wrong decision at the wrong time. Now, I'll tell you, this is probably the most overlooked factor in the entire firearms industry. My hope is that this interview is going to give you the information that you need to be better prepared to protect yourself and your family before, during, and after a shooting incident. So please listen carefully. And don't worry about taking notes because we've done all the hard work for you. And you can download all the show notes for free, including a handy-dandy little cheat sheet, by simply going to www.mcsmagazine.com forward slash 188. And now, let's get started. Bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging. Would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive. If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Does the name George Zimmerman ring a bell to you? That name makes you uncomfortable, doesn't it? Zimmerman got famous for all the wrong reasons when he famously shot an unarmed teenager, Trayvon Martin, in what was judged to be legal self-defense. But everybody and their uncle has Monday morning quarterback Zimmerman's story, his call to 911, his life and death decision to shoot Martin, and just about everything else the man has done or will do for the rest of his life. And make no mistake, Zimmerman's life has been changed forever by the decisions he made leading up to, during, and after pulling the trigger that fateful day. That is how serious the shoot or don't shoot decision is. Make it right and you're alive and the hero. Make it wrong, and you could end up in the morgue or behind bars for the remainder of your life, even if you feel you were 100% justified in shooting. And making sure you don't suffer that fate is exactly why we're here today. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And my guest today is my good buddy and legendary... Yes, I say legendary, reality-based self-defense innovator Peyton Quinn, who was instrumental also in our Bulletproof Legal Self-Defense Program and other things that we've done. We've just I, I love working with Peyton. I'm glad to have him on here. Uh, Peyton, thanks for coming back to the podcast, man. It's good to be here, Jeff. Yep. I, lo- I love getting insights that you have. I mean, you're a real uh, brainiac when it comes to this topic, and we talk about this a lot, and, and this is very, very critical. And um, I think a lot of people don't get this kind of training. They don't think about this kind of thing. I know that from from just going online, and I think we're going to talk about a lot of the things that people, the mistakes that people make about that. But listen, everyone, this is your, if this is your first time listening to maybe one of our podcasts with Peyton or one of our other broadcasts, Peyton is a, it really is a true legend in the combatives industry. In fact, Peyton is seen as a pioneer in training for how to effectively use reality-based self-defense strategies as well as firearm tactics in light of your body's natural response to life-or-death scenarios and what's called the adrenal stress response. 
Now, he's produced several DVDs and books on these topics, and the one common theme you'll find in all of his training is that it really is all based on real-world experience, not fantasy martial arts theory or fantasy gunfights that you see in Hollywood. Peyton has done hard time as a bouncer for some of the toughest biker bars and CD dives in the country and discovered what really works for surviving a violent attack when there's nothing between you and a prison-hardened thug except for your hands and your wits. Unfortunately for us, Peyton took all that same research and development and focused it into a gunfight as well, creating one of the most intense and realistic force-on-force gunfight training seminars available anywhere. In fact, we took a bunch of our New World Patriot Alliance members out. Actually, it was the ISCQC at the time. We took them out to Colorado to his training facility, and we had military contractors in there. We had an FBI agent in there. We had people, in other words, we had people with a lot of training, and we had complete beginners, including my teenage son, who came out with us at that time also. Everybody said that it was the best training that they had received ever in what really happens, not only in the shoot-don't-shoot decision, but how to de-escalate violence as well as when to pull the trigger, when not to pull the trigger, and what really works in close quarters where you're being ambushed. Um, I highly recommend it, and you can go over to his site to be able to check out his next training schedule and more on Peyton over at www.stressshooting.com. All right, Peyton, let's let's get started because this is one of my favorite topics to talk about because I do know that very few gun owners even think about this stuff, let alone get any training for it. So the first thing I'd like to do is really just ask you, I mean, I, I know you look at a lot of like the real world, real case, uh, like the real world stories that are out there reported in the news, good guys with a gun going to jail for bad decisions that they made. And a lot of times we can see trends in this and see the major mistakes that people make or the myths that they fall prey to. So what would you say are, maybe if you could give me like the three worst pieces of of misinformation that you see floating out out there about shooting and self-defense, what, what are they that you see that could really put somebody in jail um, that from, from these bad decisions? Well, Jeff, I hope I can live up to that intro. The first mistake is a rather sweeping one because all the other mistakes really flow from it. And that is simply that most people have not been realistically trained, if trained at all. And they don't, they, they don't know what they don't know, to make it simple. They don't understand the real way shooting incidents occur or how the criminal element thinks and operates. They are also, I'd say, very often fuzzy at best on knowing the law about the use of lethal force. As a result, as you suggested, uh, they can be sent to jail for just displaying their gun, even if they don't fire it. Because really, the the legal standard for displaying your gun as a deterrent is is just a hair's breadth away from the legal circumstances uh, that exist to shoot. So uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all or clear-cut deal, and you're going to be under high stress. What I'm saying is also that common mistakes and ignorance of the law can send them to jail or prison for just displaying the gun. They all stem from a lack of realistic training. Of course, they can also get killed. 
at the range, you're shooting at paper targets. You can't even shoot and move on a firing range. Most firing ranges won't allow that, and understandably for safety reasons. You just stand there and try to make good groups. Just standing there could be fatal in a gunfight. Most people train for the wrong things and not the true skill set needed in a real world attack. Yeah, that makes um that makes actually I mean that those are those are three right there that I think just on their surface, people really need to understand that. So the three I got out of that was one, know your enemy. And this was really I know you've done a lot of like interviews with convicted felons, murderers, you went into prisons and interviewed them to find out what makes them tick. How do they choose their targets? How do they get close to their targets? When do they attack their targets? And so knowing the enemy and knowing what their mindset is helps you to know what how that gunfight could possibly play out so that you can you know when to make the decision, you know when to get to your firearm, you know when an attack's going to happen. That's going to save your life and it can help you make that legal decision that you make also. So one, know your enemy. Two, know the law. And I think most people just assume that the law, I think, I think they think there's one law. If somebody is attacking me and, and I'm afraid for my life that I can pull out my gun and shoot them. And there's a whole lot more to laws than that. And very few people ever really ever even think about that. And then the third one I got from you is this myth of that you don't need legal type training or training that is designed to at least show you the legal implications of your decisions because they think that they know the law or the law is always going to be on the side because everyone just assumes bad guy is always going to be clear and evident and I'm it's going to be clear that I pulled out my gun and I stopped him, case closed. And one of the things I found from in firsthand experience from your training course is that even with these people who are FBI agents and military contractors that, like you said, you don't know what you don't know. And for example, I would also say I would, one of my own myths I would add to that is we, and it's, I think it's a really clear, it's a real clear, uh, um, insight into how traditional gunfighting lore and myths have permeated our industry is the, the tool or drill, the, the, the 21 foot rule, which is, which is always misunderstood anyway, even as what it's put out there as. But essentially, for those people that know about it, it's essentially the way that the the industry looks at it, that a person is a threat if they are 21 feet or closer to you. Like, that's the zone where they are a, a, a lethal threat to you, that they can close that distance um, before you can – before you can get to your weapon, basically. So anytime, anything within that 21 foot is what people say as, okay, that's lethality zone. But we've done force-on-force training at Peyton's Firearms Training Center where we put guys out 60 feet out, and we're not even talking about, like, concealed carry. We're talking about Old West gunslinger style where the weapon is right <laughs> there and no clothes over top of it other than, like, a little windbreaker or something, and a person with a knife, 60 feet out, and you know the attack is coming, the person still can't get to their gun. So knowing these things, knowing how attackers, uh, knowing how a gunfight plays out, knowing attacker's mindset is all really, really critical to uh, to being able to make that decision and save your life. Now, I know I kind of went off on a, a tangent there, but you know how 
how passionate I am about this topic. And it's the course that we did with Peyton. Once you start, once you have a live person in front of you and not just a flat paper target where you're doing marksmanship training, you learn, you get a, a PhD in how to save your life and the people that you protect um, with, with a firearm. And so that's one of the, one of the things that we, we really uh, dug into out there. Now, Peyton, I, I want to, there's another uh, area here that I want to delve into that I think is a really common one. I hear a lot of people, a lot of gun owners say things like, well, well, I would just take my gun out and show them I was armed with no real understanding of what brandishing or menacing is. So is it ever okay to show someone your gun to deter them? And what, what is, you know, when is it permissible for your gun to come out of its holster to engage the, the person that's in front of you that you deem a threat? Okay, that's that's a key question. Let me first say that, again, the legal circumstances that make it justified for you to display or present your weapon are just a hair's breadth away from the legal circumstances that make it lawful for you to shoot the person. Now, let's see how that works out in law. And law, remember, is not about justice. It's an abstract concept. It's about rules and procedures in an advocacy system. The DA's only interest is to make a conviction. Whether you're guilty or not really is not his prerogative or his interest. That's for the jury. His only uh, purpose is to make you look as guilty as possible and get a conviction. So one mistake CCWs carry, think, they think that just showing the potential attacker that they are armed will end the problem. But more likely, the other person or a bystander will get on the cell phone and report a man with a gun. If you show your gun as a deterrent and it is not at the point legally justified, then you have committed in all 50 states and can be jailed or imprisoned for what was called felony menacing or brandishing. Now, let me go another step here. You asked, when is it ever justified? Well, I was in such a situation myself, and I knew that since there were three guys, that legally there was disparity of force, and therefore... My presenting my weapon could be justified in court later. I also knew that uh, there wouldn't be any doubt in court. It was easily established that the three guys were hostile and surrounding me when I had the bag, a paper bag full of the cash that I, from my liquor store. So, <clears throat> like I said, there's no cookie cutter. Uh, answer to this, but basically, if you present your gun, and I may even pull your coat back to show you've got it in your waistband, that can be construed as felony menacing. And some people will freak out, maybe even bystanders, not even the guy who's accosting you. And then you're going to have to justify uh, why you displayed the gun, or the DA is going to charge you with felony menacing or brandishing and then he'll offer you a plea bargain, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, not understanding the law in terms of using lethal force, or actually any force, uh, 
some people convict themselves at the very scene of the incident. In other words, the cops arrive and they say, well, what happened? And, say, uh, and the person like the hockey dad, the hockey dad uh, had to fight a guy who had six convictions, felony convictions. Of course, the jury can never hear that. <clears throat> and when the cop came, he said, the cop said, hey, you outweigh that guy by 85 pounds. And the hockey dad replied, well, I wasn't afraid of him and he wasn't afraid of me. Well, right there in saying that, there was no way back. If he was not in fear of his life or uh, gross bodily injury, then he was not justified in using counterforce at all. It's a key concept to understand. It's also the same legal concept that ties right into why you can't display your gun, you see. Because if you're displaying your gun, then the, then you are not imminently in fear of your life or gross bodily injury, or you would have drawn the gun. It's, it's crazy, but that's the way the law works. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing these days also that I try to caution people about is with active shooters and, and things like that, having a gun out doesn't necessarily, like now people are very, uh, aware of active shooters and so there could be another ccw carrier that's close by that sees you that thinks that you are holding somebody up it could be misconstrued and they're just having it out yes. when you don't need to use it um could could make you a target for getting shot yourself so it's another another reason but and you bring the, up a really good points there even even you could even be shot by police uh <laughs> I'd say the most critical mistake people make is not preparing themselves psychologically, uh, mindset-wise, for the adrenal rush of a confrontation or ambush attack. Uh, unfortunately, most untrained people will freeze up for at least the first few seconds, and that can get them killed. Closely related to this dysfunctional freeze-up mindset, the adrenal dump is part of, is part of the reason that good marksman on the range, big mar good marksmanship on the range, means almost nothing in a real shooting instant. In fact, as I think you saw, Jeff, nobody in that class could use the sights of the weapon in the scenarios. And the scenarios just mimicked all the, all the cues. But it doesn't matter because the body doesn't know the difference. But... All those, some of those people had a lot of a lot of experience uh, shooting, but not one of them, if you recall, said they were able to look at, look at the sights or use the sights in the scenarios when they had to fire. Yeah. So the the, the adrenal effects are first tunnel vision. Your vision tunnels into the to the weapon, the person, or the weapon that's about to kill you. That means you might not see something on the peripherally, another attacker or whatever. Uh, second auditory exclusion, that means you don't hear. Your hearing is shut off uh, so that you can see faster. It's the visual cortex. Uh, some of that processing power for audio, for hearing, is shifted over to the visual cortex so you can see see faster. That's... that's, that's uh, 
leads into tachypsyche. In other words, things seem to move in slow motion under adrenal stress. If you've ever been in an automobile accident or combat, you, you've seen your kid on the jungle gym and he's about to fall. As soon as he slips off, it's frame, 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 frame. You're seeing faster. But the, the very important adrenal effect that people have to overcome, and they can, but you can't overcome something until you experience it a few times, is loss of fine motor control. Uh, on the range, people are concerned, and they're being, you know, traditional firearms training just does not prepare a person. Uh, defining traditional firearms training as shooting at targets 25 feet away when most actual shootings happen under five feet. Mm. Uh, well, that adrenal element is not there in target shooting. And so what do they concentrate on? Side alignment, breath control, trigger control. I, I can tell you none of those things are even going to be possible or in your consciousness in a real gunfight. Not one of them. You can't, I mean, if you could, you would be Superman if you could be, uh, thinking about trigger control breath and, uh, side alignment, et cetera, when somebody's really trying to kill you. Just, you yeah. know. Now, I'll say that of the hundreds of people, cause some of them are pretty well trained and experienced, the people who do best are the people who've been in gunfights before. You see what I mean? Yeah. Otherwise, it's your first time out. Those Israeli guys, they did very well because they had been in gunfights. They were an anti-terrorist group, and they were a little trigger-happy, but uh, they they were able to make those decisions under stress correctly because they had been there before. Think about this. What is training supposed to do? It's supposed to simulate the actual event so authentically that you discover all the problems in dealing with that situation. But if you, and that's what scenario-based training does, you get the adrenal rush and now you know what the problem is. You say, you know you can't use the sights and you also realize you don't have to. You can hit, you know, point shooting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and you bring up a so this is a, yes. there's a, an insight into I think your the the course also that I think is really critical for people for the topic that we're talking about like with shoot don't shoot is that you can know the law 100 percent it's not a, it's not just a matter of not knowing knowing the laws which we already established a lot of people just don't know the law but let's say that you broke out the legal guide and you took it and you memorized the whole thing knowing the law and being able to make a decision based upon the law when you're in an adrenalized state are two different things. You can know the law and you can go down for marksmanship training down at the local the local range. I call it marksmanship training. People don't you don't go down there thinking it's marksmanship training, but ultimately that's what it is because it's not a real life scenario. You're going down there to learn, you know, to 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 kind of master the basics of using your firearm and things like that. But it's not until you have somebody charging at you with even with a simulated knife in their hand <laughs> That you realize, yeah. oh my God, I didn't I, sights. What what sights? You know what shot group? So when that's happening, or when you have somebody who's 
who's walking up to you that's a vagrant. He's walking around and he's, you know, all of a sudden he's on top of you and you didn't know it and your heart goes into your throat. Again, you can know the law, but making a legal decision in the eyes of the law isn't the same thing when you are in an adrenalized state. I just want everybody to know that. And that's one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of, of Peyton's course is because you get that training that so few places ever even give you. And you, you you're learning about it now, but you experience it then. And it's, it's totally different when you experience it. And, um, so listen, we've been talking with Peyton Quinn from stressshooting.com about that critical shoot, don't shoot decision that could save or end your life. And of course we have a lot more to get to, including sound decision making when your heart is in your throat and your brain is in full overload mode. What to do after you've neutralized your target that will ensure you're protected from a counterattack and a courtroom. And finally, training for that shoot-don't-shoot decision, the kind of training that very few gun owners ever think about and even fewer ever get. All that and more coming right up, but first, check out this special message. Are you a proud defender of the Second Amendment? Are you tired of your whiny sister-in-law's liberal tantrums about the need for more gun control? Are you infuriated with government gun grabbers trying to strip you of your God-given right to own a nuclear bazooka? Well, my fellow patriot, it's time for a Smackdown. Smackdown. In our free 2AD Smackdown debate guide, you'll discover how to win any gun control argument armed with three questions. That's right. Just ask these three simple questions and watch as that smug little smile disappears from their little face of even the most ignorant know-it-all liberal. Plus, you'll discover easy, fact-based, can't-lose, crybaby comebacks for the most common myths, misinformation, and outright lies. Like, gun shows are the criminal's flea market. Countries with tighter gun control have lower crime rates. Banning guns protects our children. More control keeps guns out of the hands of crazy people. And a whole lot more. Arm yourself now with the ultimate argument winner by claiming your free copy of 2AD Smackdown. Visit www.2adsmackdown.com. That's the number two, adsmackdown.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Peyton Quinn of StressShooting.com discussing that critical decision that you may have to one day make about whether to pull the trigger or not and the possible legal implications that could change your life forever if you make the wrong decision. Now, we've got a lot more to get into, so let's jump back in our interview now. So, Peyton, a lot of gun owners seem to think that you're going to have an endless amount of time to debate with yourself whether or not you should shoot. And we all know that in reality, you'll have seconds, maybe only fractions of a second to make that decision. So what factors make it harder to reach that don't-shoot decision under the stress of a real shooting, and, and how do we train to overcome them? Now, you've already gone over a lot of the you know, the, the factors that come up in adrenal in an adrenalized state, but how do we, how do we train to overcome those factors, knowing that they are going to be there? There's really only one way, uh, and that is to experience them. People do not look for the solution to a problem until they experience it. Scenario, scenario-based training does that. Let, let me add this too. Training is supposed to prepare you for the actual event. Okay, what's the event? Which 
training for, having to pull out your gun and shoot somebody to save your life or that of a loved one, given that that is lawful. Well, the one thing you're going to have to do uh, in some of the, in, in some of the situations like that is pull out your gun, point it at another human being, and pull the trigger. Well, you never do that in any firearms training I've ever been to. Uh, you see what I mean? Yeah. So that's a big missing element. Indeed, in my classes, I've seen even police instructors hesitate because the idea of you never point a gun at somebody you don't intend to kill and gun safety, they've been teaching and it's so inculcated in them, they, they hesitate. But more, the average person just freezes a little bit. But if you hesitate, you could be killed. But if you act prematurely, you could go to prison. So it's, it's, uh, you have to train for this. The first time, you can't gamble your life and your freedom, uh, on doing it all right the first time out. You have to know the law and you have to have that adrenal stress conditioning. So like a, like some pilots, uh, phantom pilots, I debriefed after the earth cooled and the dinosaurs came. The guy, I'm trying to get this information on him about the system and he says, son, that's what he called me. And I guess I was pretty young. He goes, son, I just, first thing I do when I get into combat is turn all that shit off. Now, why did he say that? Because he knew the three or four key things he had to pay attention to. And so he was reducing the information, the figure-ground relationship, so he could concentrate on what he knew from experience was important. That's what scenario training does. Uh, you get out there, and you're watching his hands. And if he's hostile, et cetera, and, trying to, and you're moving off the attack line, you're going to say, oh, what's in your hands here, sir? You're making me nervous, you know, shouting it out loudly. So any any bystanders, which sometimes there will be, sometimes there won't, uh, will hear. The, the key concept, again, when we're getting back to the law, is anything you knew before this incident occurs is admissible in court. Anything you've discovered or knew afterwards is never admissible because it couldn't affect your decision at the time of the incident. So in this in this realm, the CCW carrier, he wants to keep himself alive and out of jail. And this is where the old saying, knowledge is power, really comes in. The more you know beforehand, you say, like by the tool drill, that a person 20 feet away can close the distance and stab you. That's why police often shoot people with knives in the newspaper, say, uh, it's unknown why they fired. There were six officers there. They all fired, and he only had a knife and was 20 feet away. But they, but what they don't say is they all demanded he drop the knife, so he did not follow uh, the directive, and they knew that he could close that distance, so they shot him. Yeah, and that's a that's an that's an interesting point that you bring up also because when you have this type of force on force training that you're talking about, just being able to say that I told him to drop the knife 
right there yeah. is another is it just another little peg on your side to give you the points because you you gave him a directive. Now we're talking about law enforcement there, but even as a civilian, being able to say in a courtroom when they say that same thing, like "Why did you shoot him? He only had a knife. He was twenty feet away." Well, I told him to drop the knife. If he didn't mean me any harm, he would have dropped the knife. You know, you, you, just being able to you have to be able to communicate why you felt like your life was in jeopardy, right? That's what it's all about. So all those types of things and knowing what to say during that adrenal, you know, in that adrenalized state, when you have somebody in front of you, being able to try to de-escalate it, even just to say that you tried to de-escalate it. How do you prove to a jury that you tried to de-escalate it? What were the words that you used so that that skeptical person on the jury can, you know, is saying to themselves, well, that makes sense. Yeah, he, he did try. He yeah, didn't want exactly to shoot the so. guy. And of course, the, again, I'm gonna. This is this is important enough to repeat. When the cops come, you better have your gun on the ground, not in your hand. But mainly, don't convict yourself at the very uh, scene of the instant by saying something stupid. That's why all you're going to say is, "I thought he was going to kill me. I was in fear of my life." And and that's about that's about it. And then. Uh, if you have to shoot somebody, or frankly, even if you pull a gun and don't shoot as a deterrent and they run off, you still should get on that 911 call immediately, you see? Yeah. And if, especially if they if you didn't have to shoot, because any one of those guys might uh, try to uh, get you charged with felony menacing. But the police... Before they even get there, you should call, and let's say you shoot the guy and he's laying there dead. Well, you still, first thing to do is dial 911, say, give me your location, uh, tell them that, uh, just tell them what you had to shoot a guy in self-defense, he, he was armed, et cetera, whatever. But keep it brief, just, and then say, you're going to send an ambulance, aren't you? You see? Everything that you must send an ambulance, something like that. Everything that goes into the police, uh, all 911 calls are recorded. So later, that is admissible in court, and the jury hears you saying, you're going to get him an ambulance, aren't you? You see what I mean? Yeah. You've got to start building that testimony before, uh, uh, you know. Before you actually sit in a courtroom, yeah. Right. And you actually answered my, my next question, which was like the actions that you take after a shooting are, are really just as critical in some cases as your, your choice to, to pull that trigger or not. And so you bring up some really good points. And I think another thing that people need to remember or, or know, if you don't know, is that 911 is going, like they don't hang up on you. They stay on the phone. And so if you're on your Correct. cell phone, for example, you're in a parking lot, every, realize that everything that you're saying is being recorded and heard by a 911 operator. Now, that can work in your favor. That can work against your favor. So if you're saying something that's why like... you keep, keep it limited. <laughs> that's right. Keep it limited, you but keep... you can also use it to your advantage. So like you were saying, like, you know, please tell me you've got an ambulance coming. You know, don't die on me. Don't die right. on me. And you're trying to give this person first aid so that they don't die 
So it's not like you're being portrayed as this trigger-happy gun nut who just watched this guy exactly. bleed because he deserved to die, this you know scumbag who had the audacity to pull him right. off on you. But think about it. If you're a decent person, those, that's what a decent person would do anyway. You see what I mean? And that's what you want to want the court. The DA is won't, again, his, he's not after justice. That's, he's after a prosecution, a conviction. So if he looks at all the factors and says, hmm, this guy, this guy, uh, was trained here and trained there. He knew that the guy 20 feet away could kill him with a knife. Uh, he shot him 12 times, but he knew one bullet seldom uh, stops an attacker, uh, et cetera, et cetera. He, the tape says, you're going to send an ambulance. He seems frantic. The jury will hear that. All these things add up in what is called the depositions. That's when you're in a room and the, the stenographer and their tape recorder and, the, and your lawyer, and the prosecution asks you questions. Then they discover all these things. It's discovery. If the DA in in the depositions, that's when he makes his decision whether to prosecute you or not. Not on whether he thinks you're guilty or not, but whether he thinks he can get a conviction. He doesn't want to indict somebody and send the county to the expense of a trial and all that if he's only going to get a, uh, a uh, exoneration. That is, if the jury is not going to convict. Yeah. Peyton, we, we've, we've been talking a little bit about, uh, well, we've been talking a lot about training for this type of stuff. We've also <laughs> just highlighted that this is the type of training most people don't even think about. Um, most people don't get it because it's really not offered a lot out there. Most people are focused in on the fundamentals of firearms when it comes to classes and things like that even more even the tactical courses quote unquote tactical courses usually see these guys dressed up like military shooting from behind barrels maybe shooting out of a car or something like that but they're typically shooting paper targets so what i'd like to do is if you could if you could give um one i'd like to know how um how scenario-based training and force-on-force training and the way that you do it uh, is is more beneficial than other quote unquote tactical type courses like I just described. Um, so I'd like to know a little bit more about that because you haven't. I know you do have a course coming up in April, and these you do very few of these courses now. So this isn't something like you're doing on a weekly basis locally. Uh, you have a true event with where people stay right there on on the property. You've got a beautiful place out there in the in the Colorado mountains with a trout stream going by. Like, it's truly picturesque. Uh, you have pictures of it, I know, on your website and everything. But um, this is a yeah. – you've made this uh, – you've designed this to be a true training experience. So I'd like to know a little bit more about how this scenario-based training, why it is important. But then also, if you could give people maybe just one drill that they can do at home or something, even if it's without with or without a training partner, right? Probably with would be more beneficial, but something that they can do at home from this podcast interview that they can put to use right away to, okay. to experience more of this stuff. Well, a, a device I found useful and used in the training, which proceeds from you have real guns, okay, except in in, in one of the scenarios, you have real guns and they're well, okay, you have. You'll start out with blank guns, 
So you have a little recoil in flame, and we will have blank guns. So you get uh, you get the opportunity to draw the gun, fire, point at another human being, fire. The slide goes back, the shell ejects, you feel recoil and all like that. You don't want it to be the first time you ever point a gun at a person and pull the trigger when your life is on the line or that of a loved one. The next one, the next thing we do is show them they don't need to use the sights. That within 25 feet or so, and most shootings occur less than five feet, uh, we put a laser in the, in the pistol. Uh, I, there's several of these around. Um, another good thing is CERT. I think it's S-E-R-T, CERT pistols. They fire a laser beam, they're rubber. This, this you can practice at home in your apartment because there's no way you can fire a real thing, and you can develop your point-shooting skills. You pull the trigger, and the laser fires for a hundredth of a second, and you see where you hit. I found that uh, very useful. When we do it at the uh, air stress shooting, sometimes uh, four guys will come out with, you know, it's ridiculous in a way, but it shows the people that they don't need to use sights and they can shoot four people in center mass very quickly. Uh, they'll come out and they'll be running and attacking and the woman or guy will step off the attack line and pull the trigger, bam, 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 and see the laser illuminate the center of mass of each of those four guys. Uh, you've got to develop some confidence in your ability. And you mentioned that, you know, they all stay here in the dormitories and we eat together and all like that. That, that there's a purpose for that. You, you were in an infantry unit, um, Jeff. You know that it's not patriotism or, uh, determine, even determination to complete the mission as much as it is the bonding of the group that makes an effective con, combat unit. Most people read Grossman's stuff. It's pretty good. Uh, on killing. Most people have a natural aversion to shooting other people. Or, and, and that's good, of course. But society is always, has conditioned them that way. Even their firearms training conditions them not to shoot people by accident. Well, you've got to create a mini society where everyone has, shares the same training goal. They get to know each other and they bond. This this helps tremendously psychologically. I mean, let's face it: the military has been using that for five thousand years. You know, yeah, yeah. And then a nineteen-year-old kid comes up here; they can turn him into anything they want. But what our program turns you into is a responsible CCW carrier who is much less likely to be killed or go to prison. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think a way to add in more realism to the drill that you gave as well, because those are powerful tools that you can use now. I don't recommend people go out and get blanks and and do that at home, but using something uh, like a laser trainer, like a cert pistol, or now you can get a laser insert into your regular hand, your regular firearm as well, yeah, so right. it goes in there and it shoots That's out. That's what a, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you can use those, and then there's another. Uh, there's another actually I just got one of these it's called cool fire and it's a it is a dry fire system that you can put inside of your your pistol 
and it does ha- it shoots out a laser, but it also has you compressed air in it, so you get a little bit of the kickback also. I, ha- I just got it, haven't used it yet. Right. Looking forward to checking that out as well. But but combining that with just something as simple as doing a tooler drill mock-up where you just right. have a training partner, you know, send them out 21 feet away. But he doesn't. He's not going to tell you when he's going to close the distance, and you can go ahead right. and do this. Do it without even doing it concealed first. You know, just do it six gun style, like old west style, and see what it looks like from twenty one feet away, <laughs> from thirty feet away, from forty. That's why I gave them that. Exactly. That's right. why I gave them that quick draw, so everything's working in their favor. And when when I do it, when a person is carrying concealed, it is much more difficult. Much more difficult. Yeah. Uh, Another thing I want to add. um, Okay, first, all the police reports I've gone through and cops I've talked to, very often they don't even remember how many shots they fired. They're not lying or forgetful. Under adrenal stress, they have auditory exclusion, and very often they say, "I don't know. I, I just I didn't hear anything. I just felt the gun buck in my hand." Okay, this stuff is very real, but until you experience for your it for yourself, it it's sort of theoretical. It's sort of hmm, that won't happen to me. Well, everybody says that almost. Yeah. Uh, but it does happen to them. It happens. It's it's natural. It's like. It's not the same as fear. It's a physiological response, the same as when you're cut, you bleed. Now, let's take that. Suppose you're cut. When you were a kid and you were cut and and the first time you were cut and blood's running down your arm or whatever, you're totally freaked out. But later as an adult, you get cut a little bit. Maybe it's even more severe. You put your hand, you're putting your hand over for direct pressure and you're going to get medical attention. The difference is the first time out is always the hardest. Mm-hmm. First time you're cut and bleeding and you're a kid, you panic. But after you've been cut a few times, you learn to deal with it rationally. It's the same with shooting. It's not rocket science. There's only a few things you have to keep track of in the, in the instant to do the right thing. And the problem people have is the first time they have to point a gun at somebody and pull the trigger and make the decision, they're almost, they're basically completely untrained. They don't know the law. Uh, they're not conditioned to the total adrenal stress and that can cause them either to shoot prematurely when it's not justified. That's why I have the few, the, the, that's why I have the, the blind guy or the deaf guy come up and he makes a furtive move into his jacket. And some people shoot him, and he's pulling out a card saying, I'm deaf and lost. Will you call this number, please? He says, uh, it's, it's a razor's edge, but you can become comfortable, almost comfortable, making that decision. Yeah. But yeah, if you've the, never experienced it, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just, just going to say, I mean, I think um, that's it, – it's, it's those – it's the nuances of it, right? Because every every situation, every scenario is different. I should um, let everybody know also that uh, 
Peyton was was the the prime person that I consulted with, uh, and also Masada Ayub on the scenarios. Uh, many of you I know have taken our our video quiz, the shoot don't shoot video quiz. Uh, most people fail that, like the vast majority. I think it's like right currently we we keep checking it, but it stays pretty much steady at like seventy nine percent of gun owners fail that that video quiz, and it's because of the scenarios, because of you don't know what you don't know. And here's what I, I really want to, and we can we can kind of end on this, and I think is really important, is that um, the the court, the jury, is not going to feel what you felt at the time you made the decision to pull your weapon out of your holster and pull the trigger. They're they're going to be looking at it from the relaxed atmosphere of the courtroom, being in their chairs, being the ones in charge of of your fate. So you've really this is why, as Peyton is saying, that it's important for you to to feel those things now so that you can make better decisions. It's not the first time you're you're pulling your weapon against another person, not your first time pulling a trigger on another person, um, because you're going to be under even more scrutiny when it comes to being in a courtroom. So, again, I want to go ahead and give a I just want to give a a blatant push for people to go over to uh, to Peyton's website over at stress shooting dot com and I can tell you that Peyton does not do many of these courses. Um he was saying that uh five thousand years tomorrow ago, I'll be sixty eight. <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna say you were talking about how training has been for the last five thousand years. You were there at the beginning of the training uh five thousand years ago. So there aren't gonna be that many more of these courses that are <laughs> but uh but yeah. no listen he only the does cold the dinosaurs were gone. <laughs> Um, so listen, everybody, he only does a couple of these at most a year. And so you definitely want to make sure that you check out his schedule, go over to stressshooting.com, take the training. I can't, I can't tell you enough how important it is, um, how impactful this training was for everybody from complete beginners. And I had friends of mine that were there that had, had only maybe been to the range maybe one time, basically barely knew how to even operate a firearm all the way up to military contractors and law enforcement. Everybody there, the bonding is great. There's no macho egos that are put in in there at all. Everybody is there to support one another. It's a great bonding experience. It's a lot of fun, but more importantly, the survival skills and the legal skills that you get from that training will will be the best training that you've ever taken, I promise you. So go check it out now over at www.stressshooting.com. Dot com. And until our next Modern Combat Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.